as we start this morning, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever seen or have you ever taken an out-of-focus or blurry picture? Right? And so why, like, I just want you to think about that for a minute. It being out of focus and it being blurry. How do we know that? How do we know that it's out of focus? How do we know that it's blurry? Well, oftentimes, being a photographer, oftentimes what will happen is if I put Terry and Kendall together and went to take a picture, cameras aren't, they aren't as smart as humans, right? So you go to take the picture and it focuses on what's behind them and not them. So they're going to be out of focus. And I want you to think about that. How often is that in life? That we're focused on things that are past us, but the things that are right before us, we can't see clearly. And so this month, as we begin November, as we begin a month of thankfulness, if you will, think about that thought of focus. And I want you to hold that thought there about being focused. So thus far, we're kind of in our fourth and hopefully final message of a series called The Christian Who Won't Quit. It was originally supposed to be three parts, but God and His sovereignty chose for it to be four. Amen? Sometimes we just, we can't, we go into something and we say, okay, God, we're going to do three messages on this season. Nope, you're going to camp out right here on one of these, and we're going to go for two weeks. And so what have we talked about thus far? Thus far in this series, we have talked about The Christian Who Won't Quit, finds fellowship with other believers. That was the first kind of nugget of wisdom from our first message a few weeks ago. That They find fellowship with other believers. They surround themselves with people who love God. If you want to be a Christian who doesn't quit, I encourage you to surround yourself with people who love God. Amen? And church, what better way to find people who love God? Amen? And as we talk about all the time, you can see people, we just fellowshiped and, and, and had people moving around the church. I didn't even know they knew where that part of the church was, right? Because they come to their certain spot. But it, it takes community. And so it's not just on Sunday morning. You make that connection and then you find that outside of 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Amen? You find it through a prayer group on Wednesday night. You find it through a Bible study during the week. You find it through Sunday school on Sunday morning. But also you find times to get together and just have lunch or to go shopping with one another. I remember um, Miss Linda talked about one of the other ladies who's passed on since I've been here, and she talked about how that they just got together, and they one of the things they enjoyed most was just each other's company. They would get in the car and just ride down to the, to the park. They would ride off and go get ice cream or something, right? They enjoyed each other's presence. That's what we're to do, is to fellowship and to find community with other believers. Then secondly, we spent two weeks on this. The Christian who won't quit is one who faithfully shares the gospel. In essence, we told you what is the gospel. The gospel is the message. It's the life and the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he came to do. Last week, we gave you a tool that you could use to highlight in your Bible that regardless of whether you want to use it now while you're alive or whether your Bible will be used even after your death or even if it's lost and someone could pick it up and they could find the way of who they are, a sinner without God, that they're in need of a Savior, that God offers a free gift through his son Jesus Christ to save them. And that nothing will separate them from that love. 
And now this morning, I want, us, I want you to see this. I want you to see that the Christian who doesn't quit or who won't quit is one who focuses on the kingdom of God. So a Christian who won't quit is one who fellowships with other believers, who faithfully shares the gospel. And this morning, we're going to hunker and spend our time around this notion of a Christian who won't quit is one who focuses on the kingdom of God. I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, you turn past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And while you're turning there, the book of Acts is a great book to study. We kind of have studied the, um, I've studied the beginning. I've studied kind of throughout, but recently I've preached some messages on maybe the beginning of Acts, and now we're in the bookend. But really, the book of Acts is a great picture of what the first church looked like. Sometimes when we get things out of focus, when we get things misaligned, we as a church should go back and look at what was happening in the book of Acts. Why? Because it is a picture of what happened as Jesus ascended into heaven. He promises that he'd send a helper, which is the Holy Spirit. The helper comes the day of Pentecost. Thousands are saved. And then because they're filled with the Spirit, they went out and they Touch the world for Jesus. Amen? They went out and made an impact for Jesus in those people that were around them. And so if anybody had reason to quit, it would have been the Apostle Paul. So we see uh, Peter's ministry, but then we also see a lot of Paul's ministry in this as he was on his missionary journeys. And so if you found Acts chapter 28, I want to invite you to, we're going to look at the last two verses, verses 30 and 31. If you will, please stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's holy and precious word. We'll stand together, we'll read these two verses, we'll pray, and then we'll begin to unpack what God has given me to say today. So in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31, we see these words. You'll see these similar words in your copy of God's word. He lived there, that being Paul. So Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom, y'all say kingdom, kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this series. God, I thank you as we study your word, whether it's in Acts or whether it's in First Chronicles or Genesis or Psalms or Proverbs or Revelation. God, wherever we are, you have a word for us today. And so, Father God, I pray that you would get me out of the way and that you would speak into the hearts and lives of these people gathered. Lord, may they clearly hear what you have for them. Father, we ask that you would bind any and all distraction that is not of you in this place this morning, that they may leave here saying that they heard from the Lord. Father, we thank you and we love you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've mentioned already, if anyone had reason to quit, it would have been the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul went from being the persecutor, the persecutor to the persecuted. He he was a changed man with a changed focus. Now listen, I just want to unpack a few truths from this particular word and then we want to kind of make a correlation of how we might could apply this to our lives, apply this to our church. And apply this to today. And so first I want you to look and it says that he lived there a whole two years at his own expense. You see, Paul 
uh, it says he welcomed all who came to him. Now, y'all probably want to say, well, when you just read that as face value, you say, oh, people are supposed to come to me to hear about Jesus. No, and that's wrong. That's not what we're talking about. Because you have to understand the context of what is going on here in the book of Acts. He lived there a whole two years on his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him. Why were they coming to him? They were coming to him because he was on house arrest. They were coming to him because he was on house arrest. He didn't complain or despair, but he did what he could do. You see, as Paul was on house arrest for these two years, as you see in verse 31, he's teaching and preaching and proclaiming Jesus But then he also, I didn't get this, right? Because as I had to study this, I I saw this too. And it was like, wow, like the scales fell off. And it was like, wow, Lord, what a great reminder. So you you see this and you read these two verses and you see they came to him. and, And I'm telling you that he was in house arrest. But don't miss this. Don't miss what's happening between these sentences. He's on house arrest. And so what did he do? He's preaching and teaching to those that would come. And the longer he was there, the more that would come. Amen? Now, you might not be Apostle Paul, but God wants to use you wherever you are. And listen, his time there, he was in jail. He wrote letters. He wrote letters. And they're what we commonly know as the prison epistles or the prison letters. He wrote Ephesians He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philippians. He spent his time in jail, not soaking, not sulking and, and woe is me. But he, when people would come, he would preach and teach about the Lord. But then he also found time to encourage those churches that had been planted during his missionary journeys. And can you imagine had Paul not put the pen to paper? And we have what we know as Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians. Where would we be? You see, he didn't complain or despair, but he did what he could do. And because he did now, countless, countless people over the centuries have been encouraged, have been challenged, have been spurred on by what Paul wrote to these churches that he wrote to these people. Can I remind you this morning that Paul's example should remind us that there is never a time or a place in which you can't glorify and serve God. Did you hear that, people? There is never a time or a place in which you can't glorify and serve God. I want us to, I had you as we were reading, and and I like to do that sometimes because those are key words in a particular passage. As we were reading this text this morning, I ask you to say back to me, but really unto the Lord, to, 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 to proclaim the word kingdom. Kingdom. That's a key verse in this sentence, is kingdom. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a territory ruled over by a king. Right? That's what a kingdom is. And interchangeably throughout the word of God, you will see it called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So I want to ask you this question this morning. What expressions of the kingdom of God do you see today? 
What expressions of the kingdom of God do you see today? Now, I have a follow-up question. How do you show kingdom citizenship? As I was reading, I was studying. That was one question that was asked. How do we know someone is a part of God's kingdom? How do we know? Through their words? Through their actions? Through their love? Do we see that in others in this room? Do we see that in other people in our lives that proclaim to be followers of Christ? Do we see the kingdom of God in them? Now, I began to think, how could I illustrate this best? Yesterday, my family and I were gifted uh, an all-expense-paid trip to a Clemson game. Someone nominated me uh, for being a good father, and they called me out of the blue, and they said, we want to give you a free game. We're going to send you to a free game. And at first I was like, it's kind of like those calls you get. Hey, your car warranty, you know, we want to talk to you about your car warranty. Click. You know, they're like, you want a free trip. And I was like, okay. And so anyway, I got to talking. So they invited us to this game, and so I want to make this correlation. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about our focus. Where's our focus? And so I want to make this correlation between the kingdom of God and a Clemson game. You see, when we went to the Clemson game yesterday, what? Everywhere we went, everybody had on what? Certain clothes. They had on orange. They had on purple. It was the purple um, out game where everybody was wearing purple. They were honoring the military. So everybody was dressed a certain way. Everybody had on Clemson earrings and pants and shirts and hats and toboggans and shoes. Everybody was decked out in Clemson. They had their faces painted. You know, when we think about the Clemson game, there are people who show up and they know the players and they know all the stats. When they got to the game, they show up early. You hang out, you hang around. See, that's why some of the most precious time to me on Sunday morning is not necessarily during 11 o'clock, but it's what happens between 12 and 12.15. And when I first got here, it would be like, you say the closing prayer and everybody's gone. But then there became times where there would be chatter. There would be people in the aisles talking to one another, hugging one another, praying with one another, encouraging one another. Now, some people we do have to maybe get about 1225, you know, okay, hello, yeah. Buffet, they're going to miss you. They hadn't seen you yet. They're going to be sitting out the search party. But no, they got there early. They hang out. They hang around. You aren't rushed. When was the last time that you came to church and it wasn't like, okay, all right, what's, uh, he's preaching, good Lord, come on. When's, it's not 12 o'clock yet. You know, when were you not rushed? Also at the game, they cheered on the team. Hmm. It's a team. It's not I. It's a team. It's not just a few of your favorite players, but it's all the players. Because the body of Christ is made up of what? All of us. All of us. A variety of us. 
We all bring something unique to the table. Yesterday at the game, people got excited. They yelled. They know the fight song. They were emotionally involved. And they traveled to get there. All of that, that Clemson game, you think about all those people, and as we looked out yesterday as we left, there were sea of tents and all this orange and purple and Clemson and Paul's and all this money and everybody had satellite dishes and big screen TVs and big trucks. And they do all that and they go and they celebrate. Hoorah! Yeah! They sing the fight song. They travel to get there. They're not rushed. They get there early. They know the team. They know the stats. But yet they came to church this morning and they won't cross the street to help a neighbor in need. Do you see a disconnect in that? How is it that we can be so passionate about football? We can be so passionate about sports in general. We can be so passionate about our hobbies. And don't hear what I'm not saying. If if somebody takes off a Sunday and they go fishing or they go camping, praise God. A Sabbath is a day of rest. In a day of renewal. We are to get out and to enjoy God's creation. Now, if you enjoy God's creation, you know, 50 weeks out of the year and you show up on Easter Sunday and Christmas Sunday, well, maybe we might need to talk. Are you really following Jesus? You know, are you really finding community with other believers? Let me hurry before I chase rabbits. I shouldn't chase. But listen, now it comes to you as we read this verse, these verses this morning. That Paul was there in chains, he was on house arrest, and he was, he was welcoming all, all who came to him, who visited with him. And he was boldly proclaiming what? The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That means that no one tried to stop him. So now let's turn the attention to you this morning. And I want to ask you this. How has Jesus changed your heart? How has Jesus changed your heart? See, friends, we're called to be a verbal witness. We are called to be a verbal witness. We're called to walk into uncomfortable situations. We're called to walk aside people that we wouldn't necessarily walk beside. We're called to be His hands and His feet and His mouthpiece. Don't you go into that situation and try to give somebody words of wisdom that you know. But what did we do this morning? 1 Chronicles 16.11 Seek the presence of the Lord continually. Underline things in your Bible. Find truths that you have seen in God's Word that have impacted you and then share them with other people. Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I look into the hills for where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. So you know what? My people, my people, you people are tired of hearing it. But just go out into the world and keep reminding people to keep looking up. We're called to be a verbal witness. 
Listen, friends, we're to point others to Jesus. We're to proclaim Jesus. What do we proclaim? We proclaim who He is. We proclaim what He did, what He has done, and ultimately what He wants to do. We're also to invest in the lives of other people. And lastly, we have to focus on God's kingdom being lived out. We have to focus on it being manifest in our world. You want to get mad and you want to shake your fist at God and say like the song that we've listened to several times and I've quoted, God, why don't you do something? And the song leans back in and says, I did, I created you. Being a Christian is not just getting your hell insurance to say, whoop, I got that, I got eternal life, praise God. Now I'm going to live, how, I'm going to live like hell. That is not what being a Christian is about. It is about a relationship. It is about a relationship with Him. And as we talked this morning about how do we tell the kingdom of God, it's through people's words, it's through people's actions, it's through people's reactions. When you get in somebody's presence, do you want to stay there because they're gonna be you're gonna be more like Jesus when you leave? Are you like, Lord, just hurry up and get this conversation over with so I can get out of here? What are they gonna say? What are they gonna do? But does that person encourage you? Do they spur you on? Do they challenge you? Just because they challenge you doesn't mean that they are a pain in the behind. Amen? God can send words of confirmation and challenge through other believers. And if you're not sure what to share, let me just give you these kind of beginning statements. Here's what my life was like before Jesus. Here's how I came to know Jesus And here's what my life has been like since I met Jesus. If somebody says that, do you think they're a believer? Sure. Do you have to get up in a pulpit and proclaim that? No. You can do that over the telephone. You can do that sitting across the table from someone. You can do it sitting side by side riding to the the state park with one another. But this week as I was reading and I was studying about this and trying to read about the kingdom of God, I read a letter that Dr. Charles Stanley wrote at the end of a year, a few years ago. And he said this, he says, Our task is to deliver the message of hope to those still trapped in the domain of darkness and to point them to Jesus, the door to the kingdom. I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn over to the book of Colossians. So we're in Acts, so turn past the book of Romans, then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then as we talked about, which our older congregate, our older demographic in our church will get, our younger folks will not because this company doesn't exist, but it's GEPC, so General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. It's a great way to remember how to get there. So I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. And so we're talking about... You know, we've been rescued, but there's still those trapped in darkness. We're to point them to Jesus, the door to the kingdom. And so I want you to see in the first chapter of Colossians, I want you to see this truth. In Colossians chapter 1, look with me in verses 13 and 14. Look with me, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of our sins. 
Aren't you thankful that Jesus made a way for us to be redeemed of our sins and enter into the kingdom of heaven? But as we go to this passage this morning, can I remind you something else? As we're going out and we're supposed to be pointing and proclaiming Jesus to others, this is a beautiful, beautiful passage I'm about to show you. You should underline it, highlight it in your Bible. If you give a Bible to somebody else, you should highlight these verses. This should be the prayer that you pray over your grandchildren, your children, your best friend. Hey, and listen, friends, when was the last time that you prayed for somebody in your your circle of influence are your family who does not know Christ, who is not where they are supposed to be with Christ. Where and when have you prayed for them? Here is a perfect prayer to pray. Look with me at verse 9, verses 9 through 12. What a beautiful passage. Friends of mine, Marla and Bill Langford printed this out and gave it to us one day at class. And it is a beautiful prayer. It is something that we should read, we should pray back to God, and we should pray for others. Listen to this prayer that we pray here. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Fully pleasing to him, not to me, not to your neighbor, not to your mom and daddy, but to the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Put your bullets in there. Go back and read that this week. Pray those verses. What great reminders. What great truths. As as Dr. Stanley was writing his letter, he wanted to remind his readers, and I want to remind you this morning this as well. Only God can bring the spiritually dead to alive. Amen? Not you. Not anything else, not anything you do, but it is only a work of the Spirit of God. So only God can bring the spiritually dead to life, but He's entrusted us with explaining who Jesus is and what He has done to save us. As we share the gospel and witness truth through our testimony, God opens hearts to comprehend and believe. Right there, right in your notes, Acts 16, 14. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the word that Paul would bring. God is all about opening hearts. When was the last time you prayed and asked God to open someone's heart to receive the truth that would be preached on Sunday morning or to be preached and taught in the church that they're in or that the gospel would find their way to them and they would have open ears and open eyes to see See him clearly. When was the last time you prayed that? He ended his letter with these thought-provoking and action-inspiring words. Listen to what he said. Beginning with those first disciples, the message of the kingdom has faithfully been faithfully proclaimed ever since. Today, we are a part of the kingdom of Christ because those before us took up the message and carried it around the globe until it reached our ears. Now it's your turn. 
Now it's our turn. There's nothing more worthwhile in which to invest our lives than the kingdom of God. It may cost us time. It may cost us energy. It may cost us money. But imagine our joy when we're all together in heaven and someone comes up to you and says that you helped them find their way to the glorious kingdom of God. Friends, you never know the impact that you will have on others. You may never know the ones you point to Christ, that you lead to Christ. Do it anyway. Because if you're keeping track, if you're keeping count, who is that really about? Is it about the kingdom or is it about your kingdom? I want to read something from a book. And then I have some closing thoughts. It's from a book called Into the Fray, the story of Acts retold for today. Talk about earlier about how I got that text about uh, Ms. Dot and how God worked that through. I rarely go into my office here at the church. I store some books there. A few weeks ago, I was sorting some books, and this one red book kept circling and going to the top. And it was this book that I'm about to read from. And listen to what it says as it closes out this book. As Luke pens his final words of Acts... Opposition to the good news and followers of Jesus is growing. There are riots in Rome. They're on the rise. Nero, the same emperor who will release Paul, is only a handful of years away from blaming Christians for everything wrong in the empire, leading to an unprecedented time of state-approved persecution, torture, and murder of Christians. None of that matters. Listen, listen. Lean in. Whether nothing hinders the community of faith or they are opposed by one another, other religions or state, they do the same thing. Whether they have money or nothing, whether they're in jail or free, whether there is internal disputes or external threats, the people of God do the same thing over and over in every story. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they share the good news. There is no one off limits to them. There is no evildoer so heinous they write them off. There is no barrier sufficient to stop them, not even death itself. Listen, Peter will die, but the word of God will continue to spread. Paul will be executed, but the Holy Spirit will continue to speak And the same words that are spoken in the final verses of Acts will continue to be true for all those who follow Jesus. They preached the kingdom of God boldly and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, may this be said of us as well. This week as I was wrestling with this particular message, in some weeks... It's a struggle because you just don't know that you, God, have you got everything, have got everything ready for Sunday morning? Have we got it all together? Have you, have you shown me everything you want me to see? And so I wrote these thoughts. When God calls you to salvation, he calls you to a life of making much of Jesus. 
He calls you to a life of living and loving like Jesus.